Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Great, so we're continuing our teaching series um, in the being gifted, and today we're going to talk about the most excellent way. I had a little um, connection to Wayne's World, but I had to take that out because we didn't have enough time. Um, so we're just going to jump right into the text, which is in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be talking about three chapters in 1 Corinthians, 12 through 14, which is a lot. Um, but as we go through it, you'll notice some recurring themes. Paul is going to continually bring up the idea that there's a variety of gifts, lots of different gifts. He's going to talk about the fact that these gifts are designed to bring about unity in the church and not division, and that they are designed to help us minister to each other. So, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, uh, David introduced this to us last week. He's talking about, so we've got this new church. This is a new group of people. They've all just become Christians, so they didn't grow up in a Christian home. They don't have other churches in Corinth to kind of give them instructions. So they're messing things up. They don't, and it's not because they're trying to, they just don't know, right? And so they are kind of building the plane as it's flying. So Paul is writing a letter to them to... um, to answer some questions, they've written to him, and they're like, hey, how does this work? What do we do for this? So some of the letter is him answering questions, but some of the letter is him kind of correcting some things that he's heard from other people, things that are going on that, he, he, that are not really representing Christ. And so you'll notice as you go through, oh, is this moving on its own, or am I doing that? Did I do that? Oh, great. Um, so you'll notice as we go through, if you read through 1 Corinthians, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of different subjects, a lot of different topics. And so that's Paul kind of responding to some of these issues. And the issue that we're going to talk about today is that of spiritual gifts. And Paul's talking to the church about this. Specifically, he's talking to, to them about the gift of speaking in tongues, which they have been kind of misunderstanding, right? So at the time, there were other religions that a lot of these folks in Corinth were very familiar with, maybe even participated in, where something like speaking in tongues was very prevalent. These spiritual experiences were a big part of these other religions, and they would go into like maybe like a trance, and they would have this experience and have these ecstatic utterances, right? And when that happened in these other religions, this was proof that that person had connected with that spirit. Right? And so this is the mindset that the Corinthians are bringing into this gift that the Holy Spirit is sharing in the church with his speaking in tongues, which is a very different gift than what they were experiencing in these other religions, but it looks similar, so they're treating it the same way. So one of the big issues is that they're saying, well, if I speak in tongues, then that's proof that I'm a better Christian. And you can imagine that that's creating some division in the church, right? So you've got these people who are speaking in tongues who are like, better than everybody else, and those who aren't, who are going, huh, do I really belong here? Am I still a Christian? Like, I think I am. I've done what Paul said, but maybe I'm not if I don't speak in tongues. So you've got these two thoughts that are going on here, which are creating division. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about tongues, but I just want to give us a working definition for those of you who aren't familiar or don't come from a background where that's uh, prevalent. Speaking in tongues is really just a prayer language. It's just a way for someone to pray to God without the use of words. It just kind of bypasses language. It's a prayer language. It's a way to connect with God without speaking the words that everybody else understands. And so it's usually something that's done in private. It can be done in public, and Paul gives specific instructions about that. But just so you kind of know what that is. 
And so we're going to look at three chapters in 1 Corinthians. And so when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he didn't give it chapters. Paul just wrote a letter, and somebody else came along later and assigned chapters and verses to it. And that's just for us to be able to find stuff easily. But sometimes we look at those chapters and we think those are like the divisions that Paul intended, and they're not. Paul intended all three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, they're all part of one unit. So for today, ignore the chapters that you see in 1 Corinthians around this issue because they are not separate topics. It's all the same topic. And it's critical that we understand that because Paul, he was a very smart um, person in, in his reasoning and rhetoric, right? And he developed this really great um, argument and supported it, but you only get that if you read all three chapters, right? You only get to see his genius if you go through all three. So, so we're gonna just going to start with the beginning. And so Paul has already, whoop, I'm going to go back. So Paul has already, you know, addressed some other issues in his letter. And so now he's shifting gears to spiritual gifts. So he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant, right? There are different gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, the same God. So we already see he's hitting this theme of diversity. There's a lot of variety in the gifts, but there's unity, right? There's different gifts, but they all come from the same God. So we can have both variety and unity at the same time. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And this is critical. This is a critical point that Paul is making early on, and he's going to defend it throughout. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. And I don't think it's an accident that tongues comes last in this list, right? So Paul is trying to make the point. There's way more to God and church than just speaking in tongues. And so this is a list of some of the different gifts of the Spirit. This is not a comprehensive list. It's not intended to be. I don't think there ever can be a comprehensive list. These are names that people have applied to what the Holy Spirit is doing, but he does lots of things. And this is what David talked about last week, the limitless Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit is going to do what Holy Spirit's going to do. We just have to try and put names to things because it makes us feel a little bit better about that. But this is not everything. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And now he's going to go on and he's going to kind of make this point in a new way. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Right? That makes sense. Our body is made up of lots of different parts. One body, different parts. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and I'll add in here, male, female, black, white, Republican, Democrat, single, married, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what you're bringing into this body, that variety that's coming into the body is still coming into one body. And once you're in, you're in. Once you're a Christian, you are part of this one body, despite the differences and despite the variety that exists. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, has your foot ever talked to you? If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, or because I don't speak in tongues, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, 
it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't, for that reason, stop being part of the body. So just because someone may not feel like they're part of the body doesn't mean they aren't. If you're a Christian, you're part of the body, whether you feel like it or not, whether you're doing anything about it, whether it looks like it to anybody else on the outside. If you were baptized into the body of Christ, you're a Christian. You are part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Every one of you, everyone who was in the church in Corinth was important, every person in that body. If they were all one part, where would the body be? That's kind of fun to think about, right? If your body was made up of just one part. Like, you know, you've heard somebody say, oh, I'm all thumbs because they're like clumsy or something. Well, then... Here, here it is. Those of you who might remember Spy Kids, these are the thumb thumbs. Um, they weren't very good at many things. So, but they did play an important role. Um, so we cannot function without all the gifts and all the people that God has brought, ooh, that God has brought into his family, right? So as it is, there are many parts, again, variety, but one body. Now he's going to shift gears to a different argument about the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I could give three sermons on just this passage, but we're going to keep going to get it all in together. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, here's our next list of things. Apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Again, last, are all apostles? Is everyone a prophet? Is everyone a teacher? Does everybody work miracles? Does everybody have the gift of healing? Does everybody speak in tongues? Does everybody interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts... And by greater gifts, Paul is using the Corinthians version of greater gifts. He's saying, it's okay. You can still desire what you think are the greater gifts, which in their mind is tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge. It's okay to desire those. But there is a, there is a right way and a wrong way. There's a good way and a bad way. In fact, Paul even says the most excellent way, not just a good way, the most excellent way. This is where the Wayne's World reference was for those of you. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought of a clanging cymbal is just a little jarring, right? And a little unnerving. And so Paul, again, he's kind of speaking to this issue of speaking in tongues. If you're just like going around speaking in tongues in front of people, you're not only ineffective, you're kind of annoying <laughs> and offensive. If I have the mystery of prophecy 
right? So here's the other gift. But I, and I can fathom all mysteries. Yes, Paul is using hyperbole here. I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move a mountain, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. No matter what my ministry might be, if it's not motivated by love, it's hollow and empty and ineffective. And if I give everything that I possess to the poor, and I give my body over to hardship that I can boast about it, but I don't have love, I gain nothing, right? Sacrifice does have its place, its place, right? Giving does have its place. God tells us to be a cheerful giver and to not boast about it and to not brag about it. Because if we do that, is it really giving? By definition of the word giving, is it really giving? I don't know. So, love needs to be the driving force behind every... Whoa, whoa, I don't know why I keep doing that. Love needs to be the driving force behind everything that we do. But what is love exactly? I'm glad you asked. So, in this section, the word for love that Paul is using is a Greek word, agape. In English, we have one word for love. In Greek, there are many. And this word, agape, specifically conveys the love of God. It's in the New Testament over 200 times. So, it definitely is worthwhile for us to understand, and especially in this context. So, when we talk about love, a lot of times in our world, love is like a feeling that we have for someone else. Whoop, we even have an emoji that goes with it, right? What does that convey to you? Oh, I love you so much. I'm so happy about what you sent me. That text made me feel so good. This is my, this is my emotional response. This is my love emoji, right? So it's not a feeling, it's really more of a decision or a commitment, and it's really more about the other person, right? Not based on what they've done, not based on how they make me feel, what they've done to make, elicit a response from me. So maybe it's more like this, right? This is the care emoji or the hug emoji. So if that's someone else's heart, you know, then this kind of gets a little bit closer to agape because it's more about them than it is about me. But agape takes it a little bit further than that in that this person that I am loving, that I have chosen to love, not only have they not done anything to warrant my love, but they don't deserve it. In fact, they deserve the opposite. And that loving them would actually be hard for me and be uncomfortable and unpleasant. And it would be a sacrifice. We don't really have an emoji for that. <laughs> I, <t> I tried <laughs> to find one. I spent a good 30 minutes finding one. Um, and this is what I came up with. This is agape. Someone who would go through humiliation and intense pain for someone who didn't even know them or had maybe even turned their back on them. This is agape. So when Paul talks about agape, this is what he's talking about. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have agape, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have this agape, then I'm nothing. And if I give all that I have to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have agape, I'm nothing. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. 
doesn't envy, like the Corinthians were envying each other's gifts. It doesn't boast about its gifts. It's not proud. Corinthians were proud that they had this gift of tongues, but they didn't do anything to earn it. They had no reason to be proud. It doesn't dishonor others, and it's not self-seeking. It doesn't get easily angered. It doesn't keep up with things that other people have done wrong. It doesn't delight in somebody else's shortcomings, misgivings, mistakes, sins. In other words, gossip. But it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. And it always trusts. And it always hopes. And it always perseveres. All right, how many of you had that read at your wedding? Or you've heard it at a wedding, right? This is pretty much, maybe it's going to be at your wedding next week. I don't know. This is pretty much the wedding passage. And now you know that's not why Paul wrote it. It totally applies to a marriage. Totally applies to a marriage relationship. Absolutely. But it was intended for the church. It was intended for us to know how to function as the body of Christ. Our local church, our worldwide church. That's why Paul wrote it. In response to this young, burgeoning church that didn't know how to function. Especially when it came to spiritual gifts. So agape never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And here Paul's talking about the second coming. When we are face-to-face with Jesus, we will have no need for prophecy or speaking in tongues or words of knowledge. It'll all just be available to us, right? So all these gifts that we kind of need now, we're not going to need them when we're face-to-face with Jesus. But love, I just keep going ahead. But love, hope, faith, hope, and love, they'll still be a part of what we experience when we're in God's presence, especially love. So the Corinthians were really focused on prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, and Paul's giving them three different things to focus on, faith, hope, and love instead. So follow the way of agape and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He's not ever saying that the gifts are bad and that they should stop. Never is he saying that. Eagerly desire them, right? Especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people but God. Remember, that's that prayer language. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Now, Paul, he goes on. This is chapter 14. He goes on a long time to talk about the role of tongues and the role of prophecy and worship. But he's not necessarily holding up prophecy, right? That's why you have to understand it within the context. He's just saying, if you're going to focus on one, prophecy at least is going to build up the church, whereas tongues is a little bit more of a private thing, right? But he goes through this whole thing and he gives specific instructions about what worship should look like, what it should look like when we come together as a body. And he's pretty much saying we shouldn't all just be standing there yelling out, speaking in tongues, because that's not really going to accomplish much as a body. So this is how he wraps that up. And I've skipped big sections of this just because of time, but just to give you the idea of how this whole thing flows together. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you as a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an an interpretation? But everything must be done so that the church may be built up. 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So we have the worship team. You guys can come on back up. So this is Paul's message to the church in Corinth about spiritual gifts. And all of it is important, and it all comes together. He points out that there is a variety of gifts, lots of gifts that aren't even listed in the Bible, things we know nothing about, things we haven't labeled yet. And that these gifts are for the common good. They're to bring about unity, not division. Last week, David talked about how these gifts are tools. They're tools that we use. Spiritual gifts are tools that we use to share God's love with other people. I love the way that, da- that Bill put it a couple weeks ago. He said, God gives gifts for me to, to minister through me, not to me. Which, it's pretty easy to think, oh, I have the gift of healing. I'm pretty special. That's not the point. The point is for the person you're going to pray for to receive God's love and healing. So the gifts themselves are pretty hollow if they don't produce fruit. And we know, David talked about last week, the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance. There's more. I always forget the last few. Um, So when I was... um, when I, when I grew up, I grew up in a very mainstream, mainline denomination. We didn't talk anything about spiritual gifts at all, ever. Um, and then when I became a Christian in college, I was in a pretty charismatic church where it was all about spiritual gifts. Um, and there was a woman who came to church one Sunday, and, and people kind of lined up, and she just went from person to person and kind of prophesied over them, gave words of knowledge, you know, spoke, God spoke through her to these people. And I was like, I want to be like her. But my motivation was not really great. My motivation was, I want people to look at me, look at me like I'm looking at her right now. I thought it was all about her. Like, wow, she must be pretty special if she gets to do this. If my motivation had been, I want to be like her so I can bless people the way I've been blessed, That's really more along the lines that Paul is talking about, right? It took me, I don't know, 10, 15 years to kind of reverse that a little bit, (laughs) which is probably why I don't have that gift. Um, And that's okay. But, so the gifts are for for the common good. Um, And all the gifts and all the people are equally valued, right? We don't want a body made out of thumbs. We don't want a whole church made out of pastors or a whole church made out of administrators, right? We need everybody who does everything, especially the people that you don't see, right? Especially the people who are doing prayer this afternoon, right? The intercessory prayer. Nobody sees them. Nobody knows what they're doing, but what they're doing is critical. Um, And then he points out that the gifts are something we should desire, but that our motivation must be agape, that sacrificial love. Our motivation must be the other person and their experience. And that when we do gather, that love needs to be our focus when we gather as a worship, uh, to worship. So Um, so I'm going to ask my invitation slide. Okay, yeah, so here we go. Um, Oh, I messed that up. That's okay. Doing this in a little slightly different order today. It made sense to just flow right into communion. But I also want to give you guys an invitation.
and really just sit before God on what you believe about spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter what it is. God already knows. <laughs> he already knows exactly what you believe. But do you, right? If you were raised in a church where that was not a thing, they might seem really overwhelming and terrifying to you. Jesus healed a man of, um, he freed a man from a demonic spirit and the whole town was so freaked out they made him leave, right? It can be overwhelming. Spiritual gifts can be terrifying and overwhelming because they're powerful. So, and that's okay. Or maybe you come from a background where it was all about spiritual gifts and you've kind of gotten burned by that and maybe hurt by that in a couple ways. That happens too. Um, so I just want to encourage you to just sit before God with that, right? And just notice exactly what do you believe and why do you believe that and why does it make you feel the way it makes you feel? Because um, it should all be about unity and love. And if it's not, then that's something to bring before God about what to do with that. Um, and then in addition to a ch an invitation, I decided to give you guys, you know, I thought about Danielle, I called it extra credit, but really, it's a challenge. Um, you can read through 1 Corinthians 13 and put Jesus' name in place of love. You can say, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus doesn't envy, is not jealous. Can you do that with your own name? I did that. I read that out loud. I said, I'm patient, I'm kind, I don't envy, I don't, and I thought, wow. Some of that feels true, <laughs> but some of it certainly doesn't. And that's okay, right? We're all a work in progress. Um, but so that's why it's a challenge. This is not something that everybody needs to do. But if you feel like this is something God's calling you to do, I encourage you to do that. This is what we are to be to the body. Sunday morning, home group, prayer things, whatever happens on Sunday morning. This is what it's all about.